Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I am Justin, and as always, I am joined by... Just to rub it in, not sick, Beth. Hey. <laughs> uh, Burns the cuted Sam. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sam Caleb. Also, I am slightly sick, so we're going two for four today. <gasps> All right. Oh, no. Yeah, this will be a fun one. We're... Uh, battling a little bit of illness but we wanted to do a recording today so we're gonna go for it be grateful listeners we're suffering for you it's said beth it's who bragged about not being sick <laughs> yeah. listen i just think it's important that i speak for you <laughs> i appreciate that because i'm so sick beth is gonna be talking for it's, me the entire exactly. episode today all right uh, today, we are starting part two of The Hero of Ages. Uh, we are heading into the section Cloth and Glass, and we are seeing uh, notably one character here now in this section who we had not seen yet and getting quite a bit of focus. Yeah, in fact, I realized uh, halfway through our reading for this section that uh, I was wrong about what Cloth and Glass means. It seems to be very specifically uh about uh, our, our good old pal Spook, who has to wear cloth and glasses over his facial region, as we will see shortly. <laughs> it's not the two things in conjunction with each other. Like, uh, what's that game where you just combine things and turn it into, like, a, a whirlwind or whatever? No, you're talking oh. about the, like, the, the phone alchemy games. Yeah, there were like four there's, or five of those. Yeah, yeah, but there's one big flash one. It's like Element God or something. Oh God, I, we <laughs> all know what we're talking about and cannot remember yeah. the name. Don't worry, Justin. Don't you worry. Keep going. I'm gonna definitely focus on. I'm definitely focused on the podcast, not looking anything else. Doodle God, right Doodle God. That's what it was. Doodle God. There you go. You don't have to uh, yell at us in, in an email anymore listener but you can <laughs> you could you can if that took too long for us to remember and we definitely remembered it off the top of our heads and didn't both try to look it up just now <laughs> other communication options are available <laughs> but if you want to yell at us yell at the twitter because the instagram can't handle spoilers please don't yell at the twitter <laughs> don't yell at the twitter you could just yell at twitter that's an option yell that's, at that's twitter fair. please do that all right. Uh, this is a relatively tame intro section for us. We're going to start talking about the book itself at about three minutes in. That's pretty good. <laughs> Do we want to keep uh, keep this going? We can we can fix that. I'm sure we could. I feel like normally we at least get a line into the epigraph before we start tangenting. So we just got it out of the way early this week. Yeah, that's uh, which means we won't be tangenting later during the episode, right? Even not even a little bit. No, I, my I, my hearing. I'm sick. My hearing's going. I didn't get that last part, but we can probably move on, Justin. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, yeah, let's actually get started with our our section today. We have a number of chapters to go through, as they are getting a little smaller on average. Uh, so we're going all the way up through chapter twenty today. Uh, kicking things off with the first chapter of the new section and our first epigraph, uh, we get some some deep Cosmere info here to kick things off uh, talking about how ruin and preservation have power and bodies and those are kind of the same thing and one of those was in the Well of Ascension 
and it's a it's a little mystical and not really like th these are interesting things to know but i don't know if they answer any questions <laughs> just raise more they do answer one question i don't i don't think i should get smoke <laughs> yeah i don't th i don't know if i should get many points for this because i didn't have an answer to the question but i did say that smoke's probably going to be important and here we have yeah that smoke was the main antagonist of the third book <laughs> yeah i mean that that is true i still i i'm still not over how like content rich these epigraphs are compared to the other two books yeah like our other two books of epigraphs were so vague and mystical and took an entire book in one case to get to any sort of a point and now this epigraph writer is just very bluntly like here's what that is yeah that was anyway. some weird god shit wasn't it <laughs> oh, so yeah Lord. we'll we'll have to just kind of file that away and see if and when it becomes relevant but it seems like a good thing to know I mean, our epigraph writer says right in there that uh, they it was one of those things that they couldn't have possibly known, and maybe it would have been beneficial to know. So joining our uh, section of the book proper, we are reintroduced to Spook, uh, who has been absent from, from section one, uh, and he has, uh, has done a number on himself. After all of that vague and not-so-vague hinting about the things that it does to you when you burn way too much of a particular elementic metal. Uh, turns out Spook has been burning and even flaring tin basically constantly since we saw him last. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a little wrong that he's not quite blind, but sure is not, like, not doing great. Not healthy. <laughs> seeing things normally department. Uh, there's, there's stuff going on here, isn't there? Little Spook. <laughs> Um, it's interesting that it goes into some of the psychology behind it, though. Mm -hmm. That it's kind of like penance. Yeah. No, it is. It it is a thing that he is, you know, in his mind. There, there's kind of this element of, if I was just doing more, and in this case, doing more has literally translated to burning more metal, being a better tin eye. And and now it's it's led him to this state where he is nearly physically incapacitated without taking all of these extra steps to to kind of keep him keep himself from just being overloaded at all times. Yeah, there's a little bit of penance and then also a little bit of this is how I'm useful. If I can be special in some way by overloading on tin and getting these kind of superpowers, then it means I'm helping more than I would be otherwise. Um so yeah it, it's a mixture of i used to feel useless and i feel bad about it and also i'm no longer useless because now i'm daredevil <laughs> or rorschach there's a little bit of rorschach well, here um it just it, in terms of like emo monologuing to himself <laughs> there's a lot of emo monologuing oh, to himself Spook's gonna oh. get some monologues don't worry specifically <laughs> Specifically, there's the the old Rorschach uh, drum beat of the city's dying slowly. <laughs> it's true. There's ash in the street. <laughs> that is, it is extra funny knowing that I cast Jackie Earl Haley as Clubs, uh, who did also play Rorschach in the movie. <laughs> so he's just picking up his 
his uh his uncle's, uncle's fallen fallen torch there yeah <laughs> his uncle's actor's past roles fallen torch can't actors just bring in their previous roles to every role they do like a badge <laughs> and then characters just bring it up like, oh remember when you were that guy this is a different movie I figured out, actually. You know how, uh, Sam, you've been struggling with how to cast Spook on account of he keeps changing personalities from book to book? He does. What we should just do is I should figure out the name of Jackie Earl Haley's nephew, and you should figure out the name of Danny Trejo's nephew, and that's just who we'll cast. That's who it is. (laughs) Perfect. Do we know that either of them have nephews? I don't know for sure. I know Danny Trejo has an extended family of some kind because he talks about them in interviews. I don't know if he specifically has a nephew. Between the two of them, there's got to be at least one nephew around. Probably. Just just any old nephew. Just pick a nephew. Alright. Uh, I'm going to pick Spook, this nephew here. <laughs> uh, who is is in one of our uh, our mapped locations. Spook is in the city of Urto. And so we're going to start seeing what is going on here. I really like the some of the initial scene setting uh, where uh, Urto was apparently a, uh, a bit of a, a Venice analog where a significant amount of the city was, was built around uh, these canals kind of instead of streets. Uh, and now because of all the shit that's been happening in the world, the canals have mostly gone dry. Uh, And so Spook is just walking down this like 10 foot deep trench that is now a a street in the city. Mm. (laughs) In an analog that I think is, is, is correct in more, many more ways than one. um, The, uh, I was reminded of the scene in the Les Miserables movie um, where they're like hauling in a ship uh, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, singing about how, you know, two, four, six or one, your time is up and your paroles, that one. Um, that was what I pictured street slots as. That was my, my vision of a street mm-hmm. slot. They're, they're like pulling a ship into a dry dock, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's a uh, very large, yeah, <laughs> a very large, uh, ship and a very large dry dock and i suppose we can uh we can get into making the uh the comparison a little more apt there if we're talking french politics yep. <laughs> uh, because we do hear briefly about ellen's off-screen speech from the end of final empire uh and we we learned that that ellen had warned against uh starting a a new government kind of based around the hatred of what came before. Uh, and that has happened uh, in Urto. We're getting uh, we're, we're, we're getting a little bit uh, Robespierre here, aren't we? <laughs> we? We sure are. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I appreciate that Spook is the, uh, does remember the speech because apparently he's the only character in the entire franchise who does. Yep. Um, so that's that's a positive thing. Someone actually heard it. He remembered Ellen's words well. A secret he would take to his grave. (laughs) (laughs) 
But they were wise words, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> they were so good. So yeah, the uh the city of Urto has uh is is now ruled by the citizen, uh a man named Quellian. Uh and Spook is here trying to uh to figure out what the deal is with that and and hope things don't go too far off the rails, because it, it seems like they kind of are already. We get some uh some good kind of sneaking and spying here. Uh I do appreciate that uh early on Spook is uh is going into a building uh and is trying to find uh, an empty room uh and can literally just feel the vibrations of people in the rooms that he's going past. Like that's kind of messed up. <laughs> I I stand by my Daredevil comparison. Yeah, that was pretty great, I think. Um uh particularly just the note of like you know oh i you know i can sneak anywhere i want but you know what uh, they they never expect me to sneak through the house that they're guarding yeah it's a, it's a bold move instead of sneaking past the tin eyes just sneak through the tin eyes it's like a metal gear game he knows where everyone's vision codes are can just go exactly <laughs> yeah. around them pretty much yeah this sequence was only missing a guard checking, uh, thinking you heard a noise, and then saying, must have been my imagination. <laughs> Get spooked in a box. <laughs> Did you see there was a thing recently where the U.S. Army was testing, um, like, AI image recognition to use as, like, as a guard, and some soldiers were able to defeat it by hiding under a box? Oh, incredible! Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty great. Metal Gear is real, <laughs> confirmed. So yeah, Spook does his uh, his uh, sneaking through. Uh, I like that. There's a a, a bit of a uh, a kind of, uh, I guess like cut off metaphor here, uh, where he's looking at the the citizen's home and sees the uh the light that is bursting out of this building and then it's no that's just what light looks like to spook it 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 just does that <laughs> light just bursts i really like all the bits that are like spook can feel things really well um particularly the the bit where you know here he he wore leather gloves but he could still feel the grain of the wood on the ladder um, and I think in a later chapter, he can, like, either feel or smell the species of wood that the floor is made out of when he replenishes his tin. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. I Yeah, I that was actually the one part of he can feel through the leather gloves, the specifics. I just don't, I don't know, physically, the, the wouldn't the gloves just block that information, even if you could feel the inside of the glove really well? I mean, if they're, like, uh, real nice gloves, then they, they could be thinner than you'd expect, so you actually still have some dexterity. But yeah, it, it is it is perhaps a, a bit of a magical stretch. But the point of the gloves is that he doesn't get overloaded, so why would they be super thin? <laughs> There's a balance there. You need you still need to be able to, like, have some dexterity so you can use objects. All right, you don't want, enough. like, big old mittens. In any case, we find that there are uh, there are two reasons that Spook has been has been making this journey, which is apparently he's done several times. 
Uh, one is that he is listening in on uh, Quellian, on the citizen, uh, and and figuring out what what Quellian knows about the incoming Imperial army. A good reason. Uh, and the other reason is that there's a girl. A bad reason. <sighs> girl. Yeah. Some things I, uh... don't change. <laughs> Some things don't change. I, I don't think Beth's long-suffering sigh is giving away too much about the fact that, that Beldry, the citizen's sister, is going to be a relevant plot point for Spook in the the future. Uh, but yeah, he is... Some things never change, and he is still infatuated with this girl. And uh, there's no way that that's going to go wrong, right? I will say at the end of this chapter, I wrote in my theory section... Spook will try to make moves on Beldry, and it will probably not go well. Uh, and then I continue to read the uh, chapters for uh, this episode. And there's a reason I'm sharing this theory now instead of in that section. It's because I'm already right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a thing. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, the, uh, the better reason is that Spook is actually doing some you know, useful spying work here. Uh, because the... Uh, the citizen as the the kind of anti everything noble that we we see that he's positioning himself as uh is definitely not going to acquiesce to Ellen Venture and the incoming imperial army uh so that is going to be uh that's going to be a conflict that's going to have to happen and it's interesting because we we see already that uh, there's some rhetoric of, you know, we we can't surrender to a venture of anyone. Uh, you know, the the things that that survivor that the Kelsey, that Kelsier did to to resist the nobility, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll see how things develop. But there is there is a point where that argument could be made that it would be convincing. Yeah, there is a, a really good line in this conversation. Um, or Spook's inner thoughts about this conversation, but he says, at times, uh, Quillian sounded like other men Spook had known, wise men. The difference then was one of extremity, or perhaps timing. Um, I just thought that was a really interesting thought of, does it really just depend on the specific context in terms of how you feel about certain lines of thinking? Right. Is is an extreme POV in one scenario actually not so extreme when the circumstances have changed right um another note about this conversation is you can tell quellian does not have like everything under control and you can tell he's really a little bit unhinged um because he's talking with several other people um and there is a mysterious third voice but he does not have a fourth voice to guide him mm. that's oh. that's the key <laughs> gasping the difference then was one of extremity, or perhaps timing, or perhaps the number of voices in the room. Girl, get one more. So yeah, we have uh, we've seen what Spook is up to. We will be returning uh, to this plotline several points in this section. Uh, you you see the way that Brandon kind of brings certain plot points to the fore, and then and then back again. And we're going to be seeing what's happening here uh, quite a bit in these first few sections. But for now, we will. Uh, go check in with uh, Vin and the others. There is one last thing about the whole 
Quillian conversation that I wanted to bring up is for most of this chapter, we get talk of him being an extremist and going too far. And we don't get a lot of like direct evidence of that. We just kind of have to trust uh, Spook uh, in that regard. And then it just casually mentions, let's give more funding to the genealogical survey committee. And that was the moment where I was like, yeah, no, nope, that's, that's real bad. That's <laughs> oh, you're one of those vibes. people. Yeah. <laughs> real bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see quite rapidly the, uh, the kind of measures that Quellian is uh, willing to employ. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is perhaps a, a bad place to start with. Very French revolution, man. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, way late in the game where that guillotine was just like a pair of scissors. Like this is, <laughs> this is what it is. Would you like to know how late in the game it was used as a pair of scissors? It was like the 1950s, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, worse. Uh, 1977 was the last time someone was executed by guillotine. Oh. I mean, if your goal is to kill someone reliably and quickly it's actually quite good at that <laughs> i was gonna say if i got sentenced to death i may request it to be my guillotine just for the drama of it i doubt that the prisoner had a say in the matter but yeah in, in my brain it would be cool there 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 have been cases of botched executions that are supposed to be like medical style and they just don't do a good job so the prisoner is just like in a torturous state of being for several hours. And yeah, in that case, guillotine might be preferable. Yeah. Drugs, you can never tell if somebody's like dead or just passed out, but a guillotine, you can tell when somebody's head is off their body. <laughs> it's uh, pretty incontrovertible. <laughs> yeah, let me do it's a direct evidence. Check. <laughs> anyway, the book. <laughs> anyway, the book, yeah. I, I, I always forget how much is happened in Hero of Ages. Oh, yeah. And then you get through part one and you're like, okay, that was a lot of setup, but we're ready. Oh, no, we haven't seen Spook's whole deal yet. We have a whole town in French Revolution still to get to. Right. So, yeah, we will uh, we'll definitely be back to that in just a, a chapter or two. Uh, but we go on to chapter 15. Uh, a the, the epigraphs in this section kind of jump around a bit. I'm, I'm assuming in a way that helps them kind of line up with the actual content of what we're reading. Uh, but we get musings on a couple of different things, uh, this time about the ash itself and how it it definitely isn't normal ash and and it did work. Like, it, it wasn't a good place, but it also didn't immediately bury the world, at least not right away. It, this feels like a, like a Futurama ice ice cube in the ocean thing like let's celebrate the the, the wisdom of rashik who created this problem but also solved it but also made it very slightly not as bad <laughs> good job rashik uh, so chapter 15 itself we are returning to vin's point of view uh i regret to inform you that one of the pre-book blind called shots was that we would, we were going to see lord penrod in this chapter and unfortunately Oof. we did not uh damn, damn it Even that's what that marriage points yeah we do see a coloss though pretty much the same thing <laughs> it's just not ellen <laughs> we do see ellen in this chapter though so if he is a coloss we see two coloss 
That doesn't track really at all. We need to post that audio. <laughs> yeah, Sam's been joking that, well, I don't know if it's a joke, but I've assumed it was a joke that Ellen is secretly a coloss. That's worth explaining for that thing I just said that sounds completely random out of context. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my continuing joke that uh, is the joke prediction. It's not even a nap bim. It's something else. So what we do have in this chapter uh, is Vin giving some thoughts about the mists, uh, which she's had different opinions on as we've gone through these three books. Uh, and they are kind of confusing her right now. Uh, she notes very specifically that when she uses Allomancy, they move away from her a bit, which is something that concerns her greatly. Uh, she notes that uh, she's asked both Sazed and Elland what they think and what the scholarship says about the mists. Uh, and, you know, are they just mist or are they something more supernatural? Uh, and she is still not quite a scholar because she is annoyed by the fact that both Elland and Sazed gave her all of the different answers that people have studied over the years. <laughs> But yeah, it is uh, it is different now, given that they they seem to have seen the mists hurting people. And uh, and and what happened, you know, what, what has happened to, to Vin lately where they've reacted to her very differently. I will say at this at the beginning of the book, it was a little bit uh, perhaps in question, but just in your phrase, your phrasing of they seem to have hurt people. We have very much seen them hurt people. At this yes, point. <laughs> yes. I, I think the, the hedge there is, like, are the mists, like, sentient and intending to hurt someone? Or is, like, is something else doing this that is just appearing as the mists? Or, like, that's all still kind of very unclear. That's true. The The exact mechanics behind it all is still a mystery. <laughs> For this episode and possibly the next one... You will not hear very many theories from me about the mists, preservation, or ruin, because I don't, I'm just, I'm, I'm in the weeds completely with what you know, the hell they're talking about. You know, that's fair. So, hopefully things will be revealed more as we go? I can promise you pretty definitely they'll be revealed. It is a, a matter of when. This book answers all of the questions you had about the first two volumes of the Mistborn trilogy, Sam. That was promised to us. <laughs> the very last epigraph is just Sazed saying, like, do you have any other questions? Please type into this form. <laughs> Here's everything else we got. Type into this FAQ. Search your question. So uh, it's also interesting to note that uh, the the one who Vin wishes that she could talk to about this is Tensoon, which going back an entire book ago, I mean, before she knew who he was, but... Uh, I wish I could go talk to my Chandra about this is not a thing that Vin would have said roughly a book ago. Yeah, very much not. Yeah, in hindsight, it's really interesting how how distrustful she was of Orisur for so much of the last book. And then when Orisur slash Tensoon literally betrays her and almost lets her die, did help and, and get the assist on, on killing Zane, but like literal an actual betrayal, which... Uh, Vin has been fearing for the entire book. She's still very much on like, yeah, I wish I could talk to Ted soon. Like she mm -hmm. really bounced back from that very quickly, which I think goes to show how important those bonds that were built ended up being.
So checking in with the other uh, members of the, the army here, uh, Ellen and Ham are having a bit of a debate here because apparently as they've been traveling uh they have been waiting in the morning until the mist clears uh so that people don't have to go out in the mists and that is starting to cost them some valuable time uh, and ellen is in favor of uh kind of biting the bullet as it were and beginning to to travel in the mists because he thinks it's a necessity to get where they're going in time uh, and Ham doesn't want to do it. Uh, some startling parallels to uh, uh, Lord Farquaad. Some of you Excuse may die. Me? Some of you may die, but that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. What's going on the Insta? Hey, how did they sneak that? How did they sneak that gentleman's name by uh, the censors and still get a PG rating? I don't know. That's a question you have to ask frequently in that movie. For the record, I didn't pick up on that until I was much older and I read about it. Yeah, exactly. Me me neither. I, just, I was just like, ooh, silly fantasy name. <laughs> I'm 10. <laughs> As I declared aloud after every movie I watched. <laughs> Regardless of your actual age. It was weird when we saw Ant-Man a couple weeks ago and you just walked out and said, I'm 10. I'm 10. <laughs> and Jonathan Majors, huh? <laughs> Jonathan Majors, huh? <laughs> So anyways, uh, speaking of ham, uh, uh, <laughs> which we definitely were. <laughs> Listen, I think about ham in the same way I think about Jonathan Majors in that I think about them a lot. Um, I think Ellen is right that Kelsier was wrong about ham. He's not meant to be a general. He's meant to be so much more. Um, <laughs> But regardless, uh, I do really like this discussion of um, Ellen kind of has a a logical, not heartless, but very logical approach to if we don't inoculate everyone now, then we're going to end up losing more lives in the long run. And Ham's thought is, yeah, but like there's technically a chance of more people surviving if we don't. It's a very small chance, but technically a chance of more people surviving if we go and continue to just hide in the tents. We are guaranteeing deaths if we mm -hmm. uh, send everyone out to the mists. And Ham, who does like to know all of his soldiers one by one, know them by name, finds that very hard to process. The idea of, I am guaranteeing that some of these men are about to die no matter what. Right. And I like... I, I It's silly to say because Brandon wrote this entire scenario from start to end. Uh, but I like that that there was this chance for Kel to be wrong about Ham. About how, you know, not everybody does fit the circumstances and and exactly who they need to be when they need to be it. Uh, and something that you would think would be an asset. The fact that Ham does get very personally involved with the people who he is commanding probably gets him a lot of respect. But in in this this day here this scenario here it ellen points out rightfully so that it might end up getting a lot of them killed and the grand irony is i don't know how in from a very like straightforward uh process i don't know how right kelsier was about any of them breeze is a pretty good ambassador mm. but nobody like really enjoys being around him it seems like like he seems to get on everyone's <laughs> nerves 
Um, and it's only by his like sheer charm that he manages to get anything done, as well as obviously his allomancy. And then Doxin, in most environments, would be a very good bureaucrat, but he was working with Elend the entire time, and it's one of my major complaints about the last book was Doxin didn't really get to do anything because Elend was making all the decisions, and that's not a complaint about the Elend storyline, but a major point of Well of Ascension is. Ellen and Doxon don't really get along, and Doxon is not yeah. able to be a very effective bureaucrat because of the circumstances he's been put in. Yeah, it the crew as it is now has kind of become a very different. It's a very different environment than Kel thought everyone would end up as. Yeah, which I which retroactively makes Kelsier even more interesting. Of, it's not it's not just. I'm going to get in there, kill the Lord Ruler, or provide a hope for people to kill the Lord Ruler, and that's it. Like, he did have a plan, but it was still a pretty short-sighted plan. Um, and I think this that really ties well into the wider conversation of, like, should Kelsier be this religious figure if he was really an imperfect guy? Not only was he legitimately unhinged and insane and reckless, he also was not really able to see the bigger picture in the way that uh, as as a random example I, I don't know i feel like marsh probably had a stronger head on his shoulders and if if things had turned out better for marsh might have been able to put together a more stable government than kelsier's plan did um and and things like that i think it's interesting how imperfect kelsier continues to be despite the fact that he is being deified in more and more in pretty much every chapter we read mm -hmm. for sure i i love all of these moments of grappling with kelsier's legacy because for so much of will of ascension it was that was one of the factors sort of driving ellen to feel so inadequate the feeling of i'm not kelsier and that means i suck <laughs> um, and so all of these moments where like, Vin explicitly called it out last book of, like, you are better at this than Kelsier would have been. And these little moments that keep popping up of reminding us how flawed he was. And then juxtaposing that with a town like Urto, where the survivor's word is law. It's so interesting. Yeah, we're definitely going to, uh, we're going to be seeing some of the consequences of that uh, very shortly in our next chapter. Uh, but before we get there, uh, we have a uh, we have a conversation that raises perhaps more questions than it answers. <laughs> uh, because Vin goes to check in with the confusingly named human, the Coloss, uh, who has taken it upon himself to say some really unnerving things in probably a complete deadpan. Uh, it starts with this kind of awkward way where where vin is trying to to say you need to stay with the coloss camp and human insists you know i am i am human i should go in this camp uh and and if people are uncomfortable then they should fight me about it <laughs> and it's 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 a it, it's a weird scenario to be in for vin i would imagine uh but then uh then he says things like you're one of us not like them, because of the mist. And uh, what does that mean? The mist. <laughs> why do you, why do you say that? Vin asked. Human looked down at her. Mist, he said. 
And then he does not elaborate literally at all. <laughs> he elaborates a little bit further when he says that he hates the mist because it hates him and that Vin understands this. And she does. I don't. That's fair. <laughs> Vin understands the what, but definitely does not understand the why either. It's weird. You, it's put weird. A, you put a spoopy soundtrack beside, behind this in the movie and this could get real creepy real mm -hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. It could, but I also feel like the soundtrack could make this scene, because I don't know why, but, like, Sans theme from Undertale just popped into my brain as an example of, like, you could play that, and then it's just like, I want a house. That's not a house, that's a tent. Well, I want one, though. It, there's, there is a, not innocence is certainly not the correct word, but there is a, but there's it's a in that same vein. Yeah. Yes. There's a naivete to humans' line of thinking that it's not funny, and I wouldn't call it cute, but it's almost like I, I, I kind of just feel bad for this guy. He clearly hmm. has thoughts that he can't fully process and certainly can't explain well for Bill Mishandam. And like it goes back to what I was saying before of is how how does the, how do the colossus relate to the Chandra? They're both hated. They're both seen as tools of the Empire, and now. Kondra, not necessarily, but now the, the Colossus are seen of tools of ruin. But they're both fully, like, thinking, feeling beings. And right. at what point do you draw the line of, well, the Colossus are dangerous. They do kill a lot of people if left unchecked. But they also have thoughts. And it's a little weird to just mind control them and force them to do whatever you want. Um, yeah, I, it's a little bit eerie, but I, I find it more fascinating than eerie, everything we're learning about human uh, in these chapters. I'm just, I'm reminded of uh, Nork Dead Dog from Warhammer 40k. Uh, so, uh, in, uh, uh, in the Warhammer universe, there's a, a, a species or, a, you know, sort of like orcs to humans, there's Augurans. Um, that very much resemble, you could say, Coloss. Um, but Nork Dedog uh, was the smartest of the Augrens, notably smart, because uh, he could write his name, uh, he could count to four, and he could speak fluently and understand orders without hesitation or difficulty. Amazing intelligence. Just like human. He's a scholar. Just to clarify, because my knowledge of Warhammer is service level, those are separate from the actual Warhammer orcs, which are a separate thing in that series, correct? Uh, I believe so. I believe Ogren are separate. Yep. He's a genius, that Nork. I believe it. I'm going to uh, throw my brother directly under the bus by saying that uh, counting to four is an accomplishment for some hu humans, too. Get his ass. <laughs> uh, hey, that's his joke that he can only count to four. <laughs> it's fine. He's never going to listen to this. <laughs> Tim, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> before we move on to the next, before we move on to the next chapter, there is, there is one other little detail from this chapter I really enjoyed, uh, which is when Ellen and Vin kind of finished the conversation. And Ellen says, I should go make sure the barges are ready to move. Ellen said, he glanced at her, and when she didn't indicate that she'd go with him, he gave her a quick kiss and departed. And, I don't know, it would have just been very easy for Vin to 
walk off or say goodbye or something but like the specific detail of ellen sees how she responds she doesn't really respond at all and ellen says okay that means she's not coming with me this is a very specific uh detail of how their relationship dynamic works that's both a little heartwarming in that they can kind of read each other's minds in that way and also i think speaks slightly to the uh gravity of the situation of like they're not even having casual dialogue with each other anymore it's like conversation over okay we're heading out hmm. uh, it's as cute as you can be in a uh in a wartime setting where one person's a general yeah. and the other person is a god all powerful assassin <laughs> they both got shit to do okay a quick peck sometimes you gotta take what you can get you know yeah no <laughs> understand understandable all right, uh, on to chapter 16, we have a, a very relevant uh, epigraph that starts to discuss uh, alimantic savantism. Yeah, this was the one where, you mentioned this in the last epigraph, but this was the one where I was like, oh, we're going all over the place. We were just talking about the ash a second ago, and now we're talking about savants, apparently. <laughs> and then we're going to go back to talking about the ash, like, next chapter. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, matter of fact, like, they are called alimantic savants. Are they? By, by who? <laughs> I mean, like, it's clear that this is a known phenomenon because Kelsier warned yes. Vin about it. Uh, but yeah, we get uh, we get a whole bunch more info here on how like um, bronze burning is because it's very low impact, and a lot of of um, seekers burn bronze a lot of the time. Uh, end up developing some level of savantism just anyway. Uh, when and then to contrast that with something like pewter where it's very difficult to burn enough pewter to reach that level without getting killed in the process <laughs> uh, and then we get uh, a, a bit of a deeper dive on uh, tin savants as the the most relevant one in this case uh, before we return to urto and spook the description gets maybe a little over the top with uh once you're a once you're a savant you're no longer human yeah like that last line is not even specifying tin savant it's any alimantic savant like those bronze savants that i was just talking about who barely even notice right. they're no longer human <laughs> yeah i have tangential like deep magic knowledge theories on what they're referring to but it's not really important so interesting I just, I, knowing, like, some more of the mechanics of how magic in the Cosmere as a whole works, I think I know, like, vaguely what the epigraph writer might be referring to. And, like, I can see the point they're trying to make, but, yeah, it does seem like a, a bit of a tall, a, a tall claim to make for something as simple as as burning a lot of bronze. So, yeah, we, we start again... Uh, with the beginning of Spook's day, and we see all of the the measures that he has to uh, to take to just sleep. Even uh, you know he's he's like he's extra blindfolded. Uh, he's got some earplugs in. He's got the room darkened, uh, and then sometimes he can sleep. And this is a mood. Yeah, I just love the way that he wakes up, though. He just makes. He makes like a bonus cup. He makes a Descendants bonus cup or cowboy coffee uh, by taking just a fistful of tin and mm -hmm. shoving it into a mug of water. Yep. He is burning <laughs> so much tin. Just shovel that in. 
Also worth noting, it's a jug of fresh water drawn from a well. And if we look back at our maps... <laughs> oh, right. That might be important somehow, maybe. I don't know. Well, well, well. Who poisoned them, Brandon? Brandon. Yeah, who poisoned them, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. No, wait, the wells are in Fadrex, aren't they? I, don't, I think don't they do. I think the that. ones marked don't on the map are in Fadrex. Don't. Don't. We have to have wells everywhere. Don't let me... There aren't Don't any wells this... in her toe because the whole city is just usually full of canals. God <laughs> damn it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's not important that he got... Uh, there is a well in her toe, Justin. He just got the drug of fresh water from the he well. He did, but they're not, marked, they're not marked on the map, though, so they clearly yeah, can't be I know. I know. Uh, I do like one detail here of just kind of the the things that you have to to juggle when there's this kind of large-scale conflict where uh, Spook thinks that other members of his team are coming because he has heard that info from the citizen and his guards and whatnot. So it's this kind of weird telephone where hopefully Spook's allies are on the way, but he doesn't actually know because he hasn't been in contact with them. And it's also kind of bad news if they know that yeah you'd you'd hope that they could arrive with uh, more subtlety can i i just i just did the research here for real quick um and i just want to go back to it uh i briefly mentioned bonus cups um for those of you at home who want to make your own bonus cup of coffee uh get a regular size mug uh put in a third of a cup of instant coffee grounds hot water, and five spoonfuls of sugar, tablespoons, and you've got a bonus cup. That sounds oh, no. uh, aggressive. <laughs> it's aggressive. And that's what I pictured in my mind when I saw him just yep. shove a, a cup full of put uh, tin. Uh, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, out into uh, another, another day on the city. Uh, we need to try to find out what's going on. Uh, and we have a meeting between Spook and a uh, a very interesting man named Dern. Yeah, it's just, this is pretty fascinating. I'm I'm excited to learn more about Dern. Hopefully we we will. I don't think he betrayed Spook here. <laughs> it's very strange stuff going on here, but it do, it seems like Dern is still relatively on the up and up. Um and we'll find out more about him. Uh, and I'll cast him with a human being, which I haven't yet. <laughs> An actual human person. <laughs> is that allowed? Yeah, right? So yeah, Dern is a, uh, a uh, ostensibly a, a beggar, but it, as is, I think, typical in fantasy books, is fairly well informed. Uh, and Spook and Dern have a, have a conversation on the, the state of the city. Uh, and how, you know, there there aren't ska being killed in the streets. Spook points out they are still being killed. It's just in secret now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they uh, they go to uh, a uh, uh, an announcement or a, a gathering led by the citizen. Just a just a good old gathering in the city square. These have gone well in this series before historically <laughs> yeah yeah we'll go with that 
Uh, I was going to bring this up now. I'm looking through uh, Brandon's annotations on these chapters. Uh, he does point out that uh, this kind of revolutionary takeover government that that goes off the rails uh, makes its appearance more than more than zero times in both fiction and in real life. Uh, and he did not want to um, retread ground too much with it. Uh, but he pointed out that although Quellian may have been taking things a little bit off the rails here, a lot of this is kind of what Kelsier was talking about. And if he had lived, how much of this would have happened? And that's a, a question that needed to be to be examined. Yeah, this this definitely seems like both a Kelsier move and a Dachshund move from uh, from some yeah. of his monologue yeah. in the last book definitely seems like this they would have been on board with this at some point in final empire if not in some of well of ascension as well so we have uh, we have an appearance by uh the citizen uh who is wearing red uh which is not an approved color because they have a list of approved colors though as of this morning the government officials now can wear red of course so that you can find them in an emergency and for no other reason yeah there is a wacky detail here of like a page before it's spook's inner thoughts and he goes spook assumed Dern knew he could see <laughs> and then on the next page hey i can see he's wearing red what's up with that it's like yeah i bet Dern does know you can you see gave spook. it away now <laughs> i mean maybe that's just why spook was willing to ask the question he's like this guy's not fooled i can just say he's wearing red it would be hilarious if Spook went, what's he wearing? It's red. And Dern went, what the hell? What? You can see? You can see? So, uh, yeah, Quellian is here wearing red. Uh, she is also here because Spook has noticed the girl. Of course. Girl. And we get a, uh, yeah, this is a, uh, there are prisoners here. And they're going to be executed. It, it really says something when Dern says, sad group today. And at first Spook thought he was referring to Beldra. He said group. What do you mean? What do you mean you think he's actually talking about one specific person? He said group. Boy's got it bad. <laughs> Wait, but it goes on to say, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, at first Spook thought he was referring to Beldra. However, Dern was nodding toward the group. Yeah, he has to like wait until he <laughs> sees Dern like pointing at the actual group of people to be like, oh yeah, them too. They look right. sad. The people about the, the ones die. who are going to yeah. be killed. Yeah, they they do look sad. He's <laughs> only got eyes for Beldra, or or any living woman. Uh, but at the moment, <laughs> Beldra. Listen, I'm a whole bisexual. I've known for a while. I get the teenage years, the hormones. It gets bad. However, I also wasn't leading revolutions at the time. <laughs> you gotta have your priorities, man. Listen, it's also a Sanderson book. This is probably the only woman in the whole city. So, of course, uh, he's gonna focus <laughs> on her. Yikes. Don't be ridiculous. There's other women. They just don't get names. <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing him like Harpo in, uh, in Monkey Business or any other Marx Brothers movie, but in specifically Monkey Business, where... He's following a woman, and then another woman comes, and he changes direction and follows the new woman. Yup. Just <laughs> calm down, Spook. Her sorrowful eyes. 
So uh, yeah, let's let us ourselves try to stop being distracted by by Beldra, <laughs> uh, and and go to this uh, group of people that's being executed. Oh yeah, Burns decuted. Yeah, th- this is uh, Sam's per- portmanteau of the day. Uh, these these ten prisoners, uh, who the citizen is proclaiming uh, have noble ancestry. Uh, are being shut into a building and burned. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if this is in the annotations anywhere. I believe this is a very specifically a Viking form of execution uh, of lock oh. people in a building and burn the building down. Um, and I'm curious if that was also intentional. If Brandon just knew guillotines would be a little on the nose, um, or if there's <laughs> some other significance behind this specific uh, form of execution. Or, as we'll see in a couple chapters, maybe it's just very dramatic when someone gets locked in a building that's about to get burnt down. Um, but yes, the, the specific method here is uh, uh, not fun to watch. No. No, it's not. On the one hand, you do get the, the dual effect of execute your enemies and burn down a noble house. Uh, on the other, you're lighting a fire in your city. It, like you're you're not lighting like a small pyre. It, it, your city that is notably devoid of the water it normally has. Let me point out. Notably dry. <laughs> and also notably already drowning in ash. <laughs> What's a bit more? I think What's this citizen more? may be going too far. Controversial. <laughs> in a few chapters, it specifies that like once they set the building on fire, all the citizens men just focus on making sure the fire doesn't spread um because that's how spook is able to escape with no one noticing so yeah maybe there's a more efficient way to do this so as this is uh, as this is going down uh, we see between spook and dern some of the the talk of uh, what would have what would kelsier have thought of this because dern apparently once saw him speak uh and this, I, I think, Spook is playing a little closer to his chest of just how well he knew Kelsier and was personally involved in the things that he did. Um, but but Dern says that Kelsier talked about how uh, the, the nobles need to be removed and the Skan need to rule themselves. And Spook has to concede, yes, he did say those things. The uh, the end of their exchange there is uh, once again cryptic. We will, although we do get a payoff for this one pretty quick. Uh, Dern was apparently paid to provide some information, uh, and the the last bit of that information that he says is count the skulls before he leaves, which is an ominous thing to say to somebody. <laughs> I maybe I'm stupid. Is that what we're gonna get? Paid. The answers on because that's still a question mark for me yeah still for me too uh yes that is okay i i mixed up when the skulls in fact get counted but thanks justin now i know that question will get answered spoilers it's it's sooner than <laughs> some of the other questions we have all I'll, I'll, that's all i'll say i i did figure we'd be getting it fairly soon but yes as yep. of right now that's still a a big old what the hell does that mean <laughs> So after the the execution is conducted, uh, Quellian is doing his uh, his kind of being a man of the city uh, and and going to to visit everyone and and check in on them and all that. 
uh, and this this really bothers Spook. He sees it as uh, trying to kind of usurp Kelsier's legacy, perhaps rightfully so. But uh, not a lot he can do about it in in the moment. Uh, and we also see that uh, there, even here with this, uh, I guess, further revolution in place or, or in progress, uh, Quellian too is is being uh, is having to deal with some of the realities of the situation, because there is a there is a woman who is upset uh, that her grandson is off working the fields and apparently has been for some time, uh, because. Turns out folks need to eat, and so some people have been uh, have been ordered around. In time, good woman, in time. Bye. Yep. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we press-ganged him into farming. Yep, tough. Okay? <laughs> eat, whatever. Suck it up. And this is um, a, a great kind of foil to later on the, in the next, I think the next chapter where uh Gorodel's talking about you know being raised farmer blah 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 um we'll get there uh but it's very different because in this hand it's like a a duty that you're forced to do and in the other it's like I'm helping everybody and I know that as opposed to go work the fields or or we'll lock you in a house and burn it to the ground or something Ugh. All these fine lines between dictatorship and dictatorship. <laughs> dictatorship and dictatorship parentheses necessary. The good kind. <laughs> dictatorship parentheses the good kind. But, but which one is which? Because Quellian would say the same thing about his dictatorship. Yup. I mean, I think we can we can pretty unequivocally say that uh, the shoving people in burning houses part is uh, is bad. Yeah, I Are know. The I'm, just, I'm just saying that there's still <laughs> the idea of autocracy in of itself is still. I am I am with Quillian. I'm actually way more on board with just exploring the different ways of how to be a leader mm-hmm. when, from from what you have seen. Democracy is not going to cut it anymore. Um, and the question of, is there a point where democracy really won't work? Or should they still have given that a shot? Um, it's just, yeah, I'm just I'm curious to see where it goes. And the fact that we now have a direct foil to, you know, two very different people forcing their will onto the, the common folk. Um, it definitely does make the island conversation a lot more interesting. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the one who has the uh, the ability to do something in this situation is Spook, and not us. And so, what he's going to do is going to go talk to the girl. <sighs> but Kelsey would have done that, right? <sighs> Kelsey would have attacked him, or or or, 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 ooh, or allied himself with. With girl, with the hot girl, <laughs> yeah, with Kelsier, known for you know really being into women that aren't his dead wife that he's not consumed with grief by. <laughs> yeah, the hot sad girl. So sad. So hot. Sad, sad, special eyes. <laughs> <laughs>
So Spook decides that uh, if we are going to be discussing Kelsier's legacy here, it's time to be very extra dramatic. Uh, because how he does go talk to the girl uh, is he like sneaks up next to Beldra and whispers to her, you approve of his murders? This is so fucking wild. What? There's... <laughs> Regardless of whether or not your actual goal after you strip away what you're telling yourself, what what your deep down goal is, do you want to get her on the side of your friends or do you want to flirt with her? In either situation, this is your leading line? What? <laughs> How do you think she's going to take this, man? You're just going to start at a 10? I don't know. I, I, I have an appreciation for this scene in a kind of watching a car crash way. Because <laughs> uh, he, he, it does. It carries on. He keeps on kind of like sidling up next to her and and saying weird, creepy things, and then leaving again. Uh, and f- with culminating with uh, her asking, "Who are you?" and he says, "I'm the man who will kill your brother." I also, before <laughs> we get to that, we also have like there's a point where Spook whispers, "You." Uh, uh, time me someone count on their fingers how long it takes me to say this you think this is any different from what the lord ruler did i once saw him gather up random people and execute them in the luthadel city square and then she spins around and goes oh it's that guy talking it's like how what do you mean he was able to get all that out before you spun around and realized the person was whispering in your ear it was about six seconds. seconds i was gonna say Beth, did you have your stopwatch <laughs> No, I wasn't quick enough on the draw, okay. even though it is the fastest shortcut on my smartwatch. <laughs> the image of Beldra walking and Spook speaks for six seconds before she goes, Who was that? is wild to me. <laughs> Just mouthing the words, not even saying anything aloud. Girl, why? <laughs> so yeah, uh, Spook is being very dramatic. Uh, and this costs him because Quellian notices, asks a very relevant question of, what are you doing with my sister? Uh, and all <laughs> hell Damn, breaks loose. Thought. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, uh, all hell breaks loose from there. Because uh, it is it is time for a combat. Uh, and skilled with tin, Spook may be. Uh, and he gets some... Uh, he gets some some good uh, some good combat in here, but uh, he is he's not a soldier, uh, and more relevantly, as it turns out, he is not an alamancer with one of the more combat effective powers, uh, because this this fight does begin. Uh, he does do the daredevil thing of uh, feeling the the vibrations in the ground and even the air of where people are and being able to dodge which is cool like credit where it's due that's cool Wh- whoever does it and as this this fight goes on uh it goes wrong because it turns out there are elemancers involved on quellian's side and that's not a thing that should be true what a hypocrite yeah, wait a minute is that allowed <laughs> yeah it turns out this guy might be a hypocrite uh which i'm sure is a a important revelation to have but spook does need to not get killed first uh, so he doesn't uh, do terribly well on that. no yeah <laughs> i mean i guess he does technically succeed on the don't he get killed but that, he yeah he he, he does, he does get, stabbed. get stabbed yeah um i i do like that he does uh figure out the technique of 
someone is pushing on my sword. What if I just let go? And then the sword just <laughs> the sword just goes away. <laughs> well, it's legitimately really interesting in terms of how this fight should be handled. Because I believe there's just the... In terms of what we see, we have people burning pewter. And then we have the sword pole. And the way that Allomancy is being used here... I don't know if an average citizen would recognize Allomancy is being used. Which you'd think would be very important that the average citizenry does not realize that they have Allomantic powers. Because I believe the average person is aware only people of noble blood tend to be Allomancers. So the fact that the use of Allomancy here seems very subtle um, is a very interesting way that the fight goes. And yeah, the idea of if Spook sends a sword flying through the air... That might give something away. That might actually be helpful in the long run in terms of making everyone else realize exactly what's happening here. That is true. Uh, and there is a uh, there, there's a perhaps more relevant point that Spook tries to figure out because, like you said, there's not a lot that's necessarily known about Alamancy, uh, and it is very easy to keep it it hidden if you don't if you're in this kind of chaotic situation. Uh, but Spook knows some of the mechanics of Iron and Steel uh, and knows that things have to uh, go in in straight lines from the one who is pushing. Uh, and so is able to identify that uh, the, the, the person who has now moved directly uh, in front of him when his sword is being pushed away uh, is Quellian, who has, has joined Veldra now. So that's somewhat interesting would be uh, a <laughs> thing weird. that yeah a thing that perhaps some people should know but yeah this this combat does uh does continue to to kind of get worse uh one of the uh one of the soldiers who spook had fought earlier uh is still alive still just barely conscious uh probably because of pewter in retrospect uh and so that messes spook up because he gets grabbed and yeah, the uh, he he thinks that he has figured it out when he he takes a uh, a thug as a human shield, uh, and apparently Quellian and his soldiers do not give a shit, uh, and Spook does get stabbed straight through the other guy, so that's pretty brutal, and he passes out, and that's the end of the chapter. Oh, Spook, always chasing the girls. Look where it gets you. Run through. Yeah, let this be a lesson. Don't look at girls or you'll get stabbed. <laughs> well. Christianancers.net. Yeah, Christianancers.com. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Spook's last thought before he, he passes out is, how did I even make it this far? And... and realizes that it, it it must only be because they were trying to keep hidden uh but yeah then then the pain hits him and he passes out and uh we will get one more uh one more spook pov before we go and it'll be a good one but for now mm. we we leave him there and his second to last thought before getting stabbed was what are you gonna do stab me <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. Like he he takes the guy hostage, uh, and and thinks that he's he that he's safe. You fucking stabbed me. 
So yeah, that was uh, that was the largest chapter of the section. It definitely had the most going on, uh, and we will have to check in with Spook one more time. But yeah, things are uh, heating up in Urto. That's <laughs> heating up. I mean, they're gonna heat up more in the next chapter. <laughs> Spoiler. Yep. And it's fun. And I love it. All right. Just because Spook is like. <laughs> An, uh, 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 an insufferable wolfhound sometimes it's still very interesting and fun to read this stuff i agree oh I, yeah yeah good job spook good job pca <laughs> when when i was uh looking ahead to where the episodes were um like we mentioned that it it seems odd after part one that we hadn't started this plot line yet but I actually, before I reread this section, I thought it, was, it wasn't actually until later that we picked this up. And so I was very glad that we got right into this to, to uh, see what the developments are going to be here. Oh, yeah. As, as much as I'm mocking all the Beldra stuff, and let's, let's be clear, the way Brandon writes this female character is weird. This, these are toe sections are very fun to read. Yeah. And also, honestly, I... I feel like he writes a weird teenage boy interacting with a female character. <laughs> yeah, we don't really That's know anything funny. about Belcher right now. I'll give him a little bit of a pass there. Uh, we know her eyes are green. Spook noticed that. And, and she looks sad. so sad. And she has auburn hair. But yeah, we have uh, we have one chapter in between before we figure out what uh, whether or not Spook gets uh, burnt secuted. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> Burnsticuted, yeah. It's a tricky one. Yeah, so before we uh we check in with Spook again, uh we have uh a return to the the epigraphs about Ash and about Rashik was what Rashik was doing. Uh and then we will see where uh Elend is going. Yeah, we had uh we had mentioned this uh in the uh one of the earlier epigraphs in a, a previous episode. Um, but the, the way that, that we, we see it here is the things that Rashik did, uh, kind of got like closer and closer to correct, uh, though not good. <laughs> I do appreciate the kind of non-explanation we get for why he continues to pursue this pathway of. He was under preservation's influence and he was in a protective mode. Instead of just going back to the way it was, he just kept working to fix the problems he had just made. Um, that's that's like a perfectly fine explanation for me. I don't need anything more than that, but I do appreciate the text directly calls out. He could have just moved the planet back and tried something else, but no, he had already gone with that and he was like, no, nope, I'm sticking with this now. Got to fix that. And then we're going to fix this and we're going to fix this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just keep on laying down those train tracks in front of you as you go, and hope After you get to all, the end. If you move the planet back, that would be admitting he's made a mistake, and he has never he's, made, he's a mistake. made a mistake. He's never made a mistake. <laughs> now you go, listener. <laughs> Good. All right, the Ellen chat. <laughs> I am now hosting an episode of Dora the Explorer. Apparently. <laughs> I'm the map. I'm the map. <laughs> no, that was that was in episode zero when we talked. Can about Can you map. see a well on this map? No, that's because no. you're not a fucking idiot like Caleb. 
All right. Well, the uh, the decision has been made here. Yeah, people um, are about to die. Yes, that people are about to die. The uh, they are they are going to go out into the mists, uh, and apparently this is going to result in some number of them dying. And there's nothing they can really do about that. But that is uh, that's the choice that the emperor had to make. Specifically, they note if estimates are correct, seven hundred people will die from this, which is not nothing. No, that's that's a lot. That's that's enough that Ham's thoughts on what if we just keep pushing while staying in the tents and try to make it, it like that's a reasonable that's a reasonable thing to put in the balance. Like it, it really drives home, yeah, it drives home Ham's point not just because of like maybe it would be worth it to keep going, but also remembering specifically. He might not remember every single one of them because 700 is quite a lot, but this is 700 people that Ham has met and shaken hands with mm-hmm. and had a drink with and had dinners with. And they're about to die. And Ellen probably knows some of them, but definitely not as well as Ham does. Oh, he knows at least one of them. <laughs> he knows that's, one. That's true. That is true. So, yeah, Ellen uh, gives an on-screen speech. It's a brief one. <gasps> Uh, it it uh, leans very heavily on the legacy of the survivor, uh, and and they are going to do what has to be done. One, I like the detail of using pewter to give you more breath support. I think that's funny. Yep. Two. He named himself Lord of the Mists. If some of us die, then it is his will. I don't find that very comforting. <laughs> I was about to say like. Brandon is absolutely fantastic at writing stories and characters, but I now fully believe that thing he said about the Final Empire speech, because yes, we do finally see Ellen give a speech, and it's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Demo likes it. Demo says it was a good speech. Uh, Yeah, Demo is is also very devoted to Ellen. Yeah. Demo also wants Ellen to shut up. Yeah, no, there is there is a <laughs> bit of a an interesting uh kind of fallout to Ellen's spontaneous religious conversion in the last book. Uh where Demo, who is from what we've seen quite devout as a a, a believer in the survivor, uh says to Ellen, you know, if you don't I, I appreciate you making this appearance, but if you don't really believe this you shouldn't be talking about it. And there is a very interesting detail here, and I think this is this is more speaking to what dictatorship has done to Ellen rather than what Ellen has done to dictatorship. But it says, Ellen opened his mouth to reprimand Demo for his lack of respect. And it's like, dude, chill. Like, he's this is a man of faith talking about his god. Like... You, your your gut reaction should not be how dare you show disrespect to me um it's it's a very kind of uncomfortable thing that that is ellen's first reaction and he does stop himself to be fair um but that's another moment of like that's that that is a an uncomfortable mindset to have for ellen i think yeah no i i agree and uh 
speaking of of Ellen's mindset, he does uh, he does point out that he's had some struggles with his faith. Uh, that you know, growing up in the the, the kind of thick of the final empire, uh, he believed in the divinity of the Lord Ruler, uh, who is now dead, uh, who was killed by Vin, his wife, who is an important figure in the Church of the Survivor, though she doesn't want to be. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, and uh, they 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 continue this into kind of this this. It's a slightly uncomfortable analysis of the Church of the Survivor versus the person, the survivor, perhaps even then versus the person, Kelsier, uh, and how much mm. crossover there is between them. Uh, I think Demo makes a, kind of an interesting uh, argument here in that uh, Kelsier, the, the, the person himself, uh, you can kind of really only apply that to who he was before the pits. Uh, and that when he went to the pits and when he snapped, that that was the person, uh, the survivor. Oh, Ellen is right here uh, saying that this is kind of what you have to do in a religion to get people to, to believe in it. It's to fully deify somebody, but it's a little screwed up. I don't know if... Kelsier was the guy who got the ball rolling here, so admittedly it's kind of his fault, but I think his his plans were kill the Lord Ruler, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> so, um, but this is the, the net effect of all that is he's got to be a god. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's interesting especially for for the readers who got to be in his head who and we certainly didn't know everything we were quite frustrated by the fact that he was hiding some things from us but uh yeah no we we knew the man so uh unfortunately this very interesting religious and and personal observation is somewhat cut short uh when the mists do come and people start uh taking sick and and getting hurt uh including at the very end of the chapter captain wait wait, wait, himself. wait wait ah oh, damn it oh. <laughs> i was gonna say uh what i wrote in my notes here was um uh, are we sure De- are we sure demo and ellen are good here's an impression of me type 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 are we sure demo and ellen are good nope Guess not. <laughs> yep <laughs> That, uh, okay. That's how it goes. Uh, the price of inoculation is death. Ellen even tries <laughs> to give a nice little one-liner of Demo. Let's ride. De- Demo. <laughs> De- where the? Demo. Oh God. <laughs> um. Yeah. This is a really juicy, dramatic consequence to that conversation, um, and to Ellen's wider plan of do what has to be done, because. You know, Ellen's already come to terms with the fact that, like, yeah, 700 of these people are going to die. But you can tell from his reaction, it never quite hit him. Like, oh, it might be someone close to me. There, there's, like, a chance it's someone I actually really know. Um, and I think that's such a good uh, way to both explore the consequences of Ellen's decision to inoculate all the soldiers. And then also, specifically, like, 
right on the end of that conversation with Demo of it's hard to see which one of them is right. And they both make some good points and Ellen kind of understands where Demo is coming from, but also thinks he's being a little illogical um, to just have that completely cut short by Demo getting wrecked by the mists is like I said, it's mm-hmm. juicy. It's good and dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a, a less dramatic, but more kind of storytelling practical note. Uh, I do like uh, one of the bits in the annotations here uh, where Brandon said that when he wrote this scene, uh, he had to do a quick double check of, hang on, is there any time that Demo would have been out in the mists already and this would have already happened to him? Yeah, I, I yeah. Just kind of had to go with it because uh, he's like, I need this scene to happen. It, it's important, but I hope that that works there's the very specific line in the last paragraph of Helen had just kind of assumed Demo had been at the mists in some point, And that just wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is now, uh, this has now hit Ellen on a, uh, a much more personal level. Uh, and that we will, uh, will not get back to in this section. We'll have to, to wait until our <laughs> next reading uh, to see what the outcome of the the mist sickness is. Uh, I can tell you chapter 21, the first one we read, is a uh, a, a Vin or Elland POV. So we will get to find out, but it, it is just past the end of our, our reading today. And weirdly, they're the ones who figure out what the whole countless goals thing means. It's, it's wild that <laughs> chose to do it that way. Kelsey, you're always used to talk about counting skulls, Ben said. <laughs> I hope that information's not really useful to someone else right now. That's the whole chapter. <laughs> and then the epigraph is, yeah, we really should have just told everybody in the gang about the skulls. It's weird that we didn't tell Spook that. And then we get our Spook <laughs> chapter. So, yeah. Um, as uh, as Sam put it in his notes... Uh, we are now going on to a Sazed chapter, which is going to be real chipper. <laughs> yep. uh, uh, we we wrap up the the thought on Rashik making his series of changes to the world in that each one did in fact get closer and closer to, to being acceptable, uh, a smaller and smaller change. Uh but uh and then there's the the very i guess very honest note of at least he didn't release ruin to the world like we did yeah <laughs> very blunt yeah and now we get to season being buried in ash yeah uh the the ash is is falling to such an extent that it is uh it's becoming difficult to to even travel so that's uh unnerving like we know that this entire world is is covered in ash, but this is covered in ash. Yeah. Uh, we also have a a reappearance of Captain Gordell, who is another character who it's it's fun to see him pop up again as he travels with them. That's uh, one of the only fun things in this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I actually lightly disagree. There's a couple things in this chapter I really like. Yeah, that's fair. the The overall mood is is perhaps somewhat somewhat dour. Yes. 
uh, with uh, Seizid continuing his his uh, quest to analyze uh, the religions that he has studied for some some objective meaning. Uh, he says that this is this is a time that people would turn to religion uh, for some for some solace, uh, but the the ones that he has studied so far, uh, they are not perfect and therefore they cannot be right. Can I just dive deeper into my Sazed religion murder thing? Yeah, no, go for it. Um, <laughs> so uh, obviously, I'm being a little silly. It's not definitively what he's doing. Um, you know, like like you said, he's searching for a religion for people to believe in that has a point and isn't hypocritical. But he's really doing it for selfish reasons as a point of, like, self-flagellatory therapy. Self-flagellatory. Ha, $10 word. There you go. But it's a good word for it <laughs> because it's it's just there's no point to it. He's, he's doing it to torture himself. Um people aren't just going to give up on survivorism or whatever they're calling it. Um, and says a dogmatic purpose that we may have is still just a guy. Um, and he's also in a really bad headspace to even consider this at all. Uh, like Larstaism, which he just deleted on essentially a technicality on, on the fact that it doesn't really have a point. Um, even though mayor believed in it, yeah, he he seems ready to to check each of them off his list. Like that's the default assumption um, that he's going off of. Yeah, um, and I guess in the end, what I'm really saying here is, will someone please help Sazed? Like, <laughs> yeah, just, like just many characters, Sazed needs some therapy. Slap him in the face and be like, Sazed, hello. Pay attention to well, the world. We got well, bigger I, fish to fry. Maybe, maybe some more supportive methods. <laughs> Ironically, I think that's why I'm so into the idea that Sazed and Breeze are getting paired up so much. Because I think if anyone's gonna do that, it's probably gonna be Breeze. And he, Breeze has already kind of tried that a little bit. Um, but I, I am hopeful for that exact conversation again. Maybe not with a literal slap, but. Um, hoping for Breeze to kind of very a little bit aggressively go, Hey, this is not helping you and it's not helping anyone else. You need to like get yourself together. Here are things that we do need to focus on. Here's why we're still doing all of this and maybe get him out of his rut a little bit. An alimantic slap, a soothing slap. Yes. A soothing slap from, from Breeze's alimantic powers would be good. (laughs) Uh, on a side note, uh, survivorism is my religion in which I believe we should put uh, Jeff Probst, host of Survivor, in charge of the entire world. Ah, you figured it out. And I believe in survivalism. What, just you know, living? Just as, as Harkening a... back to my year zero. Oh, yeah. Okay, anyway. Gorodel. We get some good Gorodel talk at this we one. We do, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we learn a little bit about some of the... Uh, the plans that Ellen has been making, uh, which is like we mentioned with, uh, with Quellian doing this in perhaps a, a bit of a, a blunt and uh, um, direct fashion. Uh, Ellen has also realized that food is kind of priority number one with so much of the, the world going dark and being, uh, being on, uh, 
uncultivatable. Gonna go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Baron, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so they have uh, Ellen has has taken as many people as he can spare to the central dominance where they're still getting sunlight and has started farming because that's what they need to do. Uh, and we get Gordel's POV on this, like we mentioned, and it is uh, surprisingly hopeful. Yeah, he talks about being a farmer, and there's a very fascinating dichotomy of Seizet is looking and thinking to himself, and he says the people working in the fields, their postures, much as they had been during the days of the Lord Ruler, what had really changed for them? And then on the next page, Gordel says, um, they're not working because someone will beat them if they don't, they're working so that their families and their friends won't die. There's a difference in that to a farmer. You can see it in the way they stand. And the idea that Sazed and Gorodel are both probably projecting a little bit onto these farmers in the distance. And there's a very good question of which one is projecting more and which one is like closer to the truth of how they really feel about this. Um, but having the specific detail of their posture be brought up in contrasting ways by these two was really interesting to see. Especially if we're talking the uh, the posture of the farmers in the fields, uh, let's go back to the final Empire prologue, where yeah. we see Lord Tresting looking out over his fields of ska, uh, and and noticing Kelsier when Kelsier has the the guts and the the self self anything to stand up and look back at him. So yeah, some. Uh, I, I do like this this discussion. It's a, a very cool one to have. It's, it's got one inconsistency. Uh, how did Seiza mix up what Gorodel did for Vin? He was there. He was he was there the most immediately after. I don't know the exact timeline of... Because uh, Gorodel went and, and got people. Right, yeah, he did He did both things being described here. He let Lady Vin in, and then he also, I believe, led Elland in. Yes, I believe, yeah. Yeah, because he, oh, well, he was one of the yeah. ones at the gate that, that uh, Vin spoke to. And then once she left, he, he returned later. But he didn't really lead her into the palace. He just, she no, just he, said, he, fuck off. And yeah, he, said, he just right. kind of stepped out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> You got it, scary lady. So as this uh, this conversation wraps up, uh, Sazed says that he's going to take his leave, that uh, Breeze and Aurian and Gordel and the rest of the group are going to travel on to Luthadel, uh, and Sazed will return to them later uh, because he is going to the Pits of Hathsin, uh, which is the new home of the remnants of the Terrace people. And he starts walking up to it, and the sheep just walk up to him, and they start flocking around him. And I thought that was the most adorable image I've heard. In, 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 <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, you know what? I'll give you that one. That is a, that's a good moment. <laughs> also, sheep confirmed. I don't know if we had that before, but we now know sheep exist. <laughs> you know, says it's really in a bad place when being insta-surrounded by sheep doesn't snap him out of his funk. <laughs> that would do wonders for me. Absolutely. <laughs> so also included here is, you know, it's a minor sin to not tell us where the ash is falling from. It's a major sin to not bold the V. I was the about v. to bring up the V. 
We know season. I'm furious. I could have had. I could have had a consummate V, and here I am denied. Beth, are you currently across? Are you across the room right now so that you can yell at us? Yes, I am. You know he's in a rut when he can't even describe the V's properly. It's fucking no V bullshit. Caesar tried to cry at the V's funeral. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't get bolted V's, what's the point, Brandon? Fuck this. Fuck this book. <laughs> I would like to submit a formal apology to my roommates. <laughs> Knowing both your roommates, I would like to, uh, on your behalf, retract that apology immediately. I was going to say, they're used to this by now. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Sazed has uh, has returned to the Terrace people, uh, who have apparently had a bit of a change of heart on him, given the things that have happened in the last few years, uh, because one of them addresses him as Your Majesty, which makes him deeply uncomfortable, which does not surprise us. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think uh, that would even be a position of, like, a title that they yeah. normally use. Yeah, that seems a little strange. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he is, I hesitate to say home because that seems like a very complex question right now, but he is among his people. Yeah. And that was another thing, not just the sheep, but just in general, I didn't really realize until this chapter how much I did want to see terrorist society in practice. And I don't know, the idea of like the pits of Hafson being this horrible, torturous place. And now the terrorist people have decided, no, we're going to call this home for now. And the image of Sazed kind of wandering down into the valley, into this, towards this little village. That was just a very calming thought to me, given everything else happening in the book. Mm. I actually, I really loved the image of that. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. Let's hope Sazed gets something out of it. Yeah, <laughs> we can, we can, we can hope. It, it seems easy to say that it would be hard for it to get worse for him, but given the literal apocalypse going on, let's not put that into the world until we actually see what happens. <laughs> the beginning of the next Sazed chapter. After telling all the terrorist people to fuck off, Sazed returned to Luthadel <laughs> and rejoined his quest. <laughs> so uh, we go directly from Sazed being met by his uh, uh, his people and a whole bunch of sheep uh we go directly from there into a burning building where spook is uh let's very briefly talk about this epigraph there's some things about ash let's go back to what's happening to spook hang on no i got something i got something here okay, okay. we have the ash coming out of the ash mountains talking about how oh you'd think ash might be white or gray sometimes but this is just black his black as preservation was white are you telling me that we're going to get Volcano versus Mists? They're pointing more to the sign. There's going to be a Volcano fight at some point. I can feel it coming. <laughs> there is the some, showdown some has interesting, been set up. Some interesting color coding there. That is a good point. I've decided I don't want to fight by a Volcano. I now want them to fight the Volcano itself. <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, I'll, let's see. Hang on. Is there a prediction that I can just like bold now? I've talked about volcanoes enough. Yes, there it is. Okay, there's, let me put this in bold. In there. <laughs> Volcano theory is now in bold. Okay. Now, uh, Spook is in a burning building. 
he does not want to be in a burning building. dying in a fire. Yes. We're dying in the fire. And he is without tin, which is very strange to him right now. Everything feels wrong. Uh, and he is being yelled at to get up. Which is a, a good move because uh, as is previously established, he's in a burning building. <laughs> oh no, he's getting burned. Okay, good. You have as much trouble with it as I do. <laughs> no, no, that was perfect. <laughs> this entire chapter feels like a video game level, but one of those video game levels that's like practically a cutscene, it's incredibly mm-hmm. linear. Um, and I love the chapter. This is not a criticism of that, but that's just what it reminded me of, of you technically are controlling the character by holding forward on the control stick, but it's pretty much just a cutscene as that all happens. It's literally Shepard's nightmares in Mass Effect 3. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, You're is. moving super slow through the smoke while mysterious voices speak to you. Actually, no, it, more accurately than that, it's, uh, the beginning post Lazarus project of Mass Effect 2 where you wake up where Shepard wakes up in the hospital while the station is under attack do this while do Miranda this is. no time to think <laughs> yes. keep going Go. exactly do this use the boost so, to get through uh, yeah in this case who is uh, who's yelling at Spook to get him to do all these things there's no time to think about that we have to get 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 upstairs crawl crawl not not, not toward the flames you idiot <laughs> can't you feel them spook they're near think spook so he is directed to a a particular room uh he remembers that he should uh should count the skulls there's a th- this is what i this is why i i brought that up again because it does come up again we just don't get an answer that's what worried me is because I knew it got brought up again, but then you said, and we get that answer. I was like, was I, was I supposed to figure out what he meant by that when it gets brought up in the fire chapter? Cause I definitely don't know what he means. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's led to this particular room. Uh, he, he sees a, a person, uh, a figure in the dark, uh, thinks that he recognizes them. Uh, goes to the desk, pulls out some uh, some metal vials, which I guess he can have his tin again. That'll make him feel better, though it's not the best place for that. Uh, and then he discovers that there is uh, there is no tin, but there is pewter, and he can now access pewter. And that's very weird, isn't it? That's pretty weird. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I, I'll, I'll spoil the theory section. I have no idea the mechanics of how that's happening, but it sure is interesting. Yeah, that's uh, and and we are not exactly in a good place to analyze this right now, uh, because having pewter is better than not having pewter, but the building is still on fire. I can burn pewter. We're dying in a fire. <laughs> so we uh we see at the very end that uh spook recognizes this this figure who has been directing him and he's going to get out of the building we hope because we're going to a chapter break
Chapter break. Well, wait, no. We do get a very specific answer to who Spook recognizes before we get to the chapter break, Justin. Yes. Okay. We do. We do. In <laughs> fact, uh, Spook has seen Kelsier here in the. Kelsier. Film. I can't believe he's still alive. We all thought he was dead. It's definitely him. Uh, well, it says it was him, so it has to be him. It says Kelsier right on the page. It says it right there. Listen. As we know, there is nobody and nothing that can pretend to be something else in this true. world. We've never seen We've it never before, seen it. especially not with never. Kelsier. Certainly with Kelsier, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, going to be a, a big question for later of what the hell just happened there? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> this chapter, fascinating to reread. I hope it was at least cool and dramatic to read for the first time. No, I loved it. I just, I'm just really excited for Spook to ignore that and get back to thinking about the sad girl. You know, there's going to be more of that. I know, I know, I know. I'm not happy about it, but I know. All right, uh, for our final chapter of the section, uh, one more epigraph. Now we are uh, thinking about the mists, uh, and we seem to get some. I don't want to say confirmation. We get some talk roughly along the lines of what Vin was thinking about what what are the mists right now uh, and uh, we we see that there are some who the mist pulls towards and there are some who the mist pulls away from uh, and then chapter 20 uh, I'm going to go again to Sam for our summary here more mean girls shit more mean girls shit because the chondra the Chandra, despite not being people, have a very human, uh, just mess of uh, people with with cross purposes and and drama and all that nonsense. <laughs> you know, in Mean Girls, when they locked Regina George in a cage. <laughs> I was about to say, you and I remember Mean Girls very differently. Tenzun sat in his cage. <laughs> I think the the gist is the same. It's particularly just page one ninety four. Um, the the fourths and fifths came to spit. The sixths and sevenths came to pity, and the eighths and ninths came to be curious. That's true. That that did have high school vibes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, thank you, the jocks and the nerds. <laughs> came to leer. The cheer squad came to cheer. So yeah, Tensoon is a. Uh, in prison, which he points out is not a thing that you need to do to Chandra, usually. You can just order them not to leave and they won't. Uh, but he is in prison as an insult. Uh, and there's not a lot he can do at the moment, uh, so he has some time to think. Uh, he he thinks that there are there's perhaps not as much time left as some of the other Chandra think. That there are there are some some forces moving in uh, the the world above, and uh, yeah, we get a, a whole a whole retinue of uh, what the other Chandra think of him, and it's by and large not pleasant. Uh, but we do get a uh, another appearance from Milan, who has come to to talk to him, and uh, she has some ideas on you know dramatic revolution and and breakout and all that and uh it is 
it is perhaps not going to go quite as she hoped though some of that is because there are there are people listening in <laughs> it's pretty interesting here i feel like i've i've read this chapter from milan's point of view a million times in a million different books trying to convince the guy and from all appearances he's not being convinced um it's interesting to see the flip of that i i don't know maybe maybe just me but um no i can see that yeah but you know he he agrees with her but he can't say it because if he does then because they're be in bad. the middle of this very public space <laughs> yep uh yeah uh, one thing that we do here is that there's a, a kind of an outstanding question uh with what happened with orsur uh and we don't know all the details of this but orsur had the uh the blessing of potency uh and if Tensun killed Orsur, then Tensun should have that, and they haven't found it. So, is that is that a uh, a path forward? Is that some way that Tensun can fight? But also, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean you lost the blessing? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what what is a blessing with a capital B? There's also a. Uh, an interesting perspective here where one of the things that even I, I say even Milan as she appears to be someone who is on Tensun's side as much as, as she does know uh, saw it as a, uh, a a fairly significant insult that to Tensun that he was wearing the, the dog's body when he returned uh, whereas from all that we've seen, the the way that it that he came to relate to Vin and the way that that ended, that was something that that meant quite a bit to him. Uh, but it is uh, it's a complicated world. The the way that he kind of brings all that back to the Chandra, and then the conversation that goes from there is a little interesting in terms of how it goes in a very small circle. As Sam said, this is a conversation that I think I have, I have also seen in other books and movies of you have to convince the wearied hero that he has to take up the mantle once mm -hmm. more. And Tensun thinks to himself, hey, those bones might be helpful. And he asks, do you know what they are? Milan says, no. Why would you want them? Tensun says, I don't want them. I don't want to come to this big, I don't want to use that horrible body anymore. And hinted that he was, he's probably kind of saying that because he has to because people are listening. And then the conversation reverts back to yeah, but I don't want to lead a rebellion. I don't really want to escape. Um, there's kind of a, a glimpse of Tensoon pursuing the conversation of, hey, maybe I could get out of here. And then it seems like he reverts very quickly to, but it would all be useless. So, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, we want to see more from Tensoon. We want to see the payoff to this scene where the 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 former hero is convinced to return to their glory uh and there's quite a lot of book left in this book uh so <laughs> we we may see some of that uh but the the point where it ends at least the like the the outwardly visible part where this ends is on a bit of a down note for now get a lot of chapters ending on that down note huh yeah the uh <laughs> the end of the world sure does that to you yeah i'm feeling kind of down today <laughs> All right, uh, and with that down chapter, we uh, we end the section on a uh, a bit of a down note on kind of several 
several down notes in a row with the exception of Sazed being surrounded by some sheep. So we'll we'll hold that <laughs> that moment dear. Hold on to that. <laughs> I'll probably hold on to that image for the rest of the book, honestly. <laughs> you know, actually that sounds like a pretty good idea. Hmm. All right. Uh before we move onwards to further reading, uh we have our usual segments to take care of. We do have a uh, a, an expanded cast now with us moving into the city of Urto in particular uh, we have some some additions to the, the cast list uh, and I've been promised real actual human actors from Sam so yes. just one You've only that, that's one. fair I, I was promised an actual human actor <laughs> and human but not human yeah. that's different not that's human true. no human is a uh, human is uh, what's her name from Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, Fallout Fallout person. Uh, Lily. L- Lily Bowen is the name that you have down. Lily Bowen. Um, all right, so I'll just jump into my casting. Before I do, can I get some help? Um, how you pronounce his name? Uh, I believe it's Fines. Rafe Rafe Fines. Rafe Fines. Yeah. Rafe Fines. Okay. So <laughs> Anyway, uh the citizen Rafe Fines. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that guy. Okay. Yeah, who uh, was the the chef most recently? The chef in the menu. Um, God bless that movie. Could, it was, you know what I? It was like um, I compared it to Fateful Findings, the Neil Breen movie, but like uh, written more cleverly. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's quite the comparison. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. I thought that movie was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, but he killed a guy because he didn't like the movie he made. Yeah, and it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I didn't have any problem with it. It it makes it makes me sound like I didn't like it. I did like it. I liked the movie a lot, but Fair. it reminded me of Fateful Findings. <laughs> um, just in the fact that like, oh, we're we're all gonna kill ourselves. We're gonna kill each other. Everybody killing. I don't like when people die or get hurt. That's why I'm reading <laughs> these books. Bad news about our readings on this it podcast. The apocalypse happening. <laughs> Damn. Um so I don't I don't know if we've established the age of the citizen. Um but my gut says Ralph finds. So there's my gut. Okay. Oh god. Uh, let me just read it. That's Ra- not real. Oh. That's not real. That, that is his that full up. name. Rafe that, Nathaniel no. Twistleton Wickham Fines. No, that's... That, Twistleton? People aren't... It's already wacky enough that his name is R-A-L-P-H and it's pronounced Rafe. You can't throw Nathaniel Twistleton Wickham Fines at me, Justin. <laughs> there is a separate Wikipedia article for the Twistleton Wickham Fines family. Oh, we yeah, because isn't there... More. Did, yeah, didn't his family do some fucked up stuff back in the day? I don't think he was. I don't think he's the the oldest in. person in this family who has their own Wikipedia article. Uh, is from the 1300s. Oh, way back. Yes. Way, way back. All right. All right, Rafe. I see you with your fucked up history. Well done. Um. Uh. Related to this, I don't have a casting for Olin. I don't know if I need one yet. 
Um, I do not have a casting for Owen either. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm a I'm in good company at least. Okay. Uh, I do have a casting for Beldre. Um, which makes it a little bit funnier that uh, Spook is chasing after her. Uh, but I went with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Cause she, I think she's got green eyes, and she looks like a sad. She has like a sad kind of face. <laughs> she looks. <laughs> she looks sad. sad. <laughs> I mean, that's what we know about about Beltra right now. So this this Maggie is, Gyllenhaal is forty five. <laughs> this is wild because I was worried about my age gap between my Quellian and my Beltra. Ironically. Both Sam and I have chosen a pair of actors with 20 years in between their two ages. <laughs> um, but I, I did, mine are a little bit closer to Spook in age than Rafe finds in Maggie Gyllenhaal. Okay. Not, no, not that that makes it better or worse. I'm just like, I'm, I'm clarifying that's, I'm setting the stage for later. <laughs> it's just funny that we both chose two decades in between the ages of this brother and sister. Yeah, I mean, well. m- movies are unusual. Movies are unusual. I used to work with a woman who uh, was, I think, 15 years younger than her older sister. It's feasible. Yeah, it's feasible. Yeah, because her, her dad, uh, her mom died, and then he got a new mom and had her. No, it's totally feasible. I'm just uh, my my greater concern was the spook Beldre age gap. <laughs> well, isn't he like listen, twenty by this point? He's pretty young. Yeah, he's pretty young. Listen, she's the only woman in the whole city. Okay, what's he gonna do? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, and then the other uh, big uh, person that we've met here is Dern. Yes. So. For Dern, I went with Billy Connolly circa Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> okay. Uh, he plays uh, Billy Bones. So, um, but he's got the the same sort of like uh, thief lord who is also secretly a beggar or vice versa, I should say. Um, <laughs> one or the other or both. Um, he can kind of play that. Uh, the the guy who you underestimate at mm-hmm. first, so the guy who has has kind of a an oddball look, and then you realize, oh, you actually have uh, have some serious, uh, you you've got some some ability behind you. Yeah, there's a there's a dual purpose behind this oddball look. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So those are those are my three for now. Olid will have a casting when Olid is important. No. So there. All right, uh, Caleb. I would guess that you probably have a very similar uh, trio to add to the the cast. Yeah, I got a couple additions, and I also have some recasts as well. Okay. Um, I have been struggling with Tensoon, as you know. Um, and <laughs> the the hint at the end of this chapter is that he may be returning to his dog form rather soon, and. I don't know if Adam Driver would sign on for two scenes and then just a voice actor role. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure if Adam Driver is the right pull here. So I'm going to default to something before. Originally, I cast 
John DeSantis as Orasaur, who has is not super famous. He hasn't been in a lot. He was in the series Unfortunate Events TV show. And I don't know. Let's just have it still be John DeSantis. It doesn't really make sense for why he has the exact same appearance, but maybe if Tensoon is like working off of reflex, he just happens to come up with a different uh, a, a body that looks a lot like that one that Orasaur was originally. I don't know. <laughs> John That's DeSantis didn't get much of a chance to do much in Well of Ascension, so let's have him just continue to be Tensu. <laughs> okay. I definitely misheard you the first time you, or, or when I, the first time you said John DeSantis, I misheard you, and I was like, oh, oh, no, oh, no. And then I was like, oh, from, not from politics. I was like, he is a monster. He is a, a you know, but. Uh, no, uh, actor John DeSantis as featured in the hit series, Series of Unfortunate Events. That guy. Yeah. John. John DeSantis. <laughs> That's Not a little Florida different. Florida garbage man. <laughs> Correct. Jonathan to DeSantis. Be fa- to be clear, this was me calling him a pile of garbage a garbage man is a respectable profession that does not deserve to be compared to Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Often played by Adam Driver, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Ron DeSantis I'm casting as uh, one of the people who gets killed by the mists a couple chapters ago. Um, anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, then I have another controversial recasting, but I feel like we we now have to retroactively make... Uh, jk simmons kelsier just so we can have the line of think spook um become canon in uh the mistborn series um anyways uh moving on uh for quellian um i had uh jesse williams who was in uh cabin in the woods and one of his most famous roles in the past couple years was as marcus in detroit become human um that game that is definitely not an allegory whatsoever no, so there's, there's no, no social there's commentary. no social commentary at all in that game. Um, but for whatever reason, I saw Marcus's storyline and I was like, I don't know why, even though there's no social commentary in this game, I could see this guy leading some kind of revolution. Um, when I played that game and I saw Jesse Williams's performance, I thought he was like late 20s. Uh, that man is 41 years old, uh, which was a surprise to me. Um, uh, regardless... As Beldra, I have someone 20 years younger than him. Uh, I have cast Storm Reed as Beldra, who I recently saw in the film Missing. She was very good in it. I've heard she's also very good in some of the other things she does. Um, and, I mean, I she can be sad. She's sad in a couple of the scenes in that movie, so she could play Beldra to a T, I'm sure. Um, so those are my two castings there. Um Ironically for Dern, I also cast someone who is known somewhat recently for playing a pirate. Um, I cast Christian Nairn, who is most famous for playing Hodor in Game of Thrones, but he also has a supporting role in Our Flag Means Death. Um, oh, and yeah. Yeah, I just, had, just pictured him in my head for that. Uh, and then I do have one last casting. I suppose hot off the presses of Mark Mir as Hun 4, I was still in my Mass Effect uh, headspace. Um, so for Milan, I cast Liz Shroka, who is known as the voice of yes. Tali Zora from yes. Mass Effect. Yes. See, you say, I love Mass Effect. You say being in a Mass Effect headspace <laughs> like it is possible to not be. 
apologies yeah. to say. Specifically <laughs> in terms of casting the Chandra, I suppose. That's how I should have clarified. Mm-hmm. Can we do a podcast episode where everybody talks about Mass Effect and I just sit here confused? That's pretty much every <laughs> podcast episode, up... I think. <laughs> we can, We should play Two Truths and a Lie Mass Effect Edition with you. <laughs> I have had every opportunity to play that game. I cannot get past the battle tactics of Mass Effect 1. I just can't. It's so... Uh, I don't know. The whole room <laughs> goes quiet. We, I, I was just thinking <laughs> we, we should we fill with rage. No, I was just thinking we should probably go to predictions because that's a cool segment. Wait, and I have a I have a rare update oh, to the Beth casting list. The, the Beth column. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which currently only contains Griffin McElroy in it <laughs> uh, for this book. So Travis McElroy as <laughs> the thought started as a meme. And now I kind of like it of casting as Spook, uh, Skylar Gardner, who I initially thought of because he plays a young Daredevil in the Daredevil TV show. Ah. And he, I think he does a great job. He does. He's do also a in great Ozark. Job. I haven't seen Ozark, but oh, is he? I hear he's good in it. Yeah, he's J- Jonah. Really? Wait, that's the same guy who's Little Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, he's good in Ozark. Okay. So there. Yeah, I'm, that's cool. I like that. That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I was going to say I think we should uh, charge right on to uh, our prediction segment because I could talk at length on my recommendations on playing Mass Effect in the year 2023, uh, but that's probably best served for a different podcast. So. Uh, yeah, there were there were definitely some some questions that we pointed out as being new questions that were not answered. Uh, but I'm I'm curious if you have any anything looking forward that you you are willing to to call out. Oh, I have a I have a pile of loose questions that I don't answer because I don't know. Well, let's go with that then. I'll throw them at you here. We're in kind of a, 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 a transitional phase of the book. We are gaining more information and we don't have enough collected to really say much. At least that's how I feel. I, I think know. that's reasonable. Um, so uh, here, here are my questions. Uh, why do the Mists only choose some people to kill? Why do the Mists hate Vin? Why do Kolos hate the Mists? What are ruin and preservation to each other? Is the citizen a mistborn or just a coin shot? The fuck does count the skulls mean? And <laughs> is and is Kelsier a thing now? <laughs> I don't know. I actually have two questions loaded up of I don't have answers, but I want to chat with Sam. Um, one of them is what does count the skulls mean? I that's that's one of the ones where I, I wonder if you want to bounce some ideas off of each other here, because yes, I also don't really have any definitive ideas for that. Oh gosh, this uh, my theory on what count the skulls means is Spook knows what it means, but he knows it so much, and there's so much going on that he doesn't have time to explain to us, the poor reader, what he knows. What would Kelsier do? Not explain this to the audience. Exactly. <laughs> God damn it, he's the, right. <laughs> the house is burning down, Spook. Big. So, 
I don't know. Uh, those are those are my questions. Uh, I did have a couple predictions. Okay. Um, oh, so uh, we're not going to bounce any more ideas off the skulls thing. <laughs> well, we we can once we go to you. I think. Okay. All right. For, uh, I'll take spice. Yeah. We'll do it that way. All right. Um. So, uh, WRT the Kelsier Ghost with regard to, uh. His appearance is very obsequiously. Fuck. So true. His appearance. <laughs> his appearance is very obsequiously placed next to the "the mists will trick you into giving it you its way" epigraph. Um, or giving it, whatever. You know what I'm saying. There's mist trickery, and then we see Kelsier. Yes. Well, actually, vice versa, I think. We we see Kelsier, and then there's Miss Trickery. Um, so either it's actually Kelsier, and the ghost that stabbed Elland is also Kelsier, which is kind of fucked up, or it's the Mists trying to trick Spook. Um, and I'm kind of thinking it's the latter. Uh, and I also think this is just something that popped into my head while we were talking, going over the chapters. Um, Milan. Asked about the blessing of potency that was Orsor's. What's given to Spook? The blessing of Pewter. What's Pewter? Pewter's potency. Maybe that's what's happened here. Ooh, I okay. made that connection. That's interesting. So that, hmm. that might be what's happening here. I don't know how that would be somebody's to give. Is Orsor a ghost? Are ghosts a thing? Are ghosts a thing? I picked up that potency probably ties to pewter, but I hadn't thought of the fact that, like, oh, and someone else just got the quote-unquote blessing of pewter. That yeah, that's ooh, that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, let's see. And uh, my other prediction, apart from count the skulls means something I don't know. Spook knows. Uh, my other prediction is I think ruin and preservation are two sides of a coin. Um, I kind of get the sense it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Uh, okay. Or like a yin and yang. In that, like, only one of them can kind of um, wield influence at a time. And that they're sort of the same... The same fundamental uh, thing. Yeah, globally defined general deity thing. Um. It's just so weird. I'm trying to get my head around it, and I, I can't yet, so whatever. But it does seem like they're intrinsically tied one way or the other. So that's it for me today. Okay. Caleb, if you want to uh, run through some stuff and see if any of it spurs another further discussion. Sure. Um, hey, Sam, got any ideas on what Count the Skulls means? <laughs> Uh, I, you know, like I said, I really think that Spook knows, but we don't know. Um, That's a good point that I hadn't thought about. I think there is a decent chance of that. Um, but yeah, I have also a little stumped on that because my first thought was, oh, maybe they're not all human. Maybe some of them are secretly Contra, but that doesn't make sense because the one thing a Contra needs is the bones. So you think bones. the skulls, skulls would still have <laughs> the same number. Um, and then my other thought was the citizen is faking some of these fires and not everyone's dying in them 
and that I don't under, that doesn't really make sense. I don't know why some people would be able to escape and the others would not be able to use the same escape route. And the question of why I was curious, I was like, well, maybe if um, uh, Quellian wants to have Alamancers in his little squad, he has to pretend to kill them, and then they can join his squad. But everyone sees the faces of the prisoners. And then they see the faces of the guards, so it doesn't make sense for that to be like a, a recyclable, sustainable resource. People would notice that, hey, didn't you just burn in a fire a couple days ago? So, yeah, those are all the like thoughts I have of what it could mean, but none of them really make any sense. Yeah, it's, I just want to know more, man. I just want to keep reading. Same. Sorry, I'm keeping us. Um, <laughs> before I let you read more, Sam uh what's what's the deal with these coloss man do you, do any any more thoughts on that because i'm a little lost on what what the whole deal with these guys are uh with regard to what <laughs> well we've got vin's had a lot of questions of how do they get made where did they actually like legitimately come from why do the mists hate them you brought that up and you, I, I don't think either of us really have a good guess or answer for that but like what is their actual fundamental nature of where where do they come mm. from? I guess. Mm. <laughs> I I don't know. Sam, what was the name of the protagonist? This reminds me of um the worst book discussion I've ever had in my life. This is not the worst book discussion I've ever had in my life. I love this. Good to this know. Great. Good to know. But, <laughs> but listen, right. but listen, but listen, 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 listen. Okay. Uh, we'll be doing there this was segment again. A, there was a a book that um we were required to read in one of my classes in college called The Crying of Lot 49, which uh, I hate that book. It's stupid. Uh, sorry, um, <laughs> but I do. Uh, and the professor uh, kicked off the discussion by going, all right, everyone, so tell me, what is Lot 49? And the whole room went silent. And the professor said, okay, you, may, you all may go. The class was five what? minutes long. And he let us all go because nobody could answer the question of what is the title of the book. Hmm. That seems like the yeah. book perhaps did not communicate sufficiently what it needed to communicate. Or people didn't read it. Or that. <laughs> yeah, people definitely did not read it. But um, I did read this. And uh, let's see. Coloss, right? Um, there of preservation, whatever that means. Um, the mists I thought were related to preservation, but now I'm not so sure with what we saw in these chapters. Um, so it's really hard to say exactly what they are. And I think that's what Vin and Human are just going to pick at for a little while in monosyllabic ways. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, I, I'll move on to my other theories. I'm going to make... This is going to last longer than five minutes, I'll tell you that, Sam. Um, but uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll go into the, the theories that I are not just questions and what I think might actually happen at this point. Um, and then I'm going to negate what I just said immediately because this isn't really a theory, but it is a thought that's important. Okay, let's go with it. <laughs> uh, there's the detail of uh, Vin thinking about human, and she says, as soon as she thought of the creature, she became aware of where it was which is a very interesting detail that reminded me a lot of Ruin controlling Marsh and how it seems like 
idly, Ruin is not keeping tracks, uh, is not keeping tabs on Marsh, but he can uh, start keeping tabs on Marsh whenever he wants. It just has to be an active thought process. Once that becomes a kind of a conscious thing. Yes. So I don't know what that means for the Colossus. I don't know what it means for how Ruin works, but I did pick up on the parallel there of if you are thinking about a, a person, you can control them and you know exactly what they're doing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have direct control of them at all times. Um, uh, in regards to Ghost Kelsier, um, I did have the thought that there was a, uh, it was a Chandra again, because we don't really know what happened to Kelsier's bones. They just kind of, Vin said, get rid of those, and then they just disappeared. <laughs> um, but that seems a little unlikely to me. Um, I also think it is kind of a supernatural tricky at work, but uh, I, one, I don't think the uh, preservation of ruin are necessarily one and the same. I think they're two sides of a coin metaphorically, but not like literally the same thing. Um, and yeah, I don't think this is preservation or the mist speaking. I think that this is a form of ruin that has come to whisper sweet nothings into Spook's ear. Um I think the the thing that made me know it's not a contra, it's definitely something supernatural, is the fact that Spook could hear the voice clearly um, right as he uh, woke up. And without Tin, he shouldn't really be able to hear anything very well. Uh, but he can hear the voice in his head the entire time, um, which certainly sounds a lot like the voice of God talking to Zane. And also, who boy, if uh, Ruin is smart enough to start imitating the voices and likenesses of people... Um, that other people know. Sure, I'm going to point back to my Reen is now Ruin theory from last uh, section. And again, anytime Reen pops up, I'm going to be looking at that with a little bit of suspicion. Because now we mm. have, if my theory is correct, definitive evidence of Ruin being able to imitate specific people. Um, so that's what I think is going on there. Not entirely sure why Ruin wants to help Spook so much. I feel like um, Ruin... Considering considering he wants Vin to go after the Adium, if my reading thing is correct, and he wants Spook to survive, it seems like he needs Ellen's army to control all of the special Rashek vaults. But I don't know why he would need the one in Erto and the one in Fadrex City. But it does seem like that's part of his game plan, is he does want Ellen's crew to be in control of those. Um, so that's what I think is going on there. Um, in regards to the epigraphs, we do get um, a specific detail I don't think got mentioned. Um, the epigraph writer writes that um, it depends on your susceptibility to ruin that uh, determines whether or not the mists like you or not. Um, they don't like Vin, who did play a lot into ruin's hands last time um, on, in the last book. Um, so that could be one regard. Um, so I'm also curious, just to test all of my theories, I'm curious if we will see um, how the mists react to Spook anytime soon. Because, we, if, again, if my theory holds true, Spook sure is doing exactly what Ruin is telling him to do. Um, so I'm curious if the mists would be like, boo, we don't like you now. Um, I am curious if the mists specifically try to kill people who are susceptible to Ruin. Um... And if that's the case, why would you not kill Vin? Which makes me think maybe the mists can't kill Alamancers. 
Because we've only seen... We have not seen any Elemancers die from the mists, I don't think. Um, and we definitely, like, way back to Final Empire, Kelsier was very confident about, you know, the mists are your your place. You don't need to be afraid of them. Right. Um, so I'm curious if the mists would have been willing to kill Vin to stop Ruin from getting released, but they couldn't do that. So instead they were like, hey, please don't release the power. Please, please don't do that. And then she did it. Um, so that's my thought there. Um, what's the deal with this mist spirit we haven't seen in over a year? That, that, <laughs> a that sure went away for a while, which is weird. And for, for a bit, I kept thinking like, well, maybe once Ruin got released, the mist spirit went away. But that's not true because the mist spirit is the one who told Vin to feed the chicken nugget to Ellen. So it stuck around for a couple minutes at least. Um, so my guess is that um, the mist spirit is essentially like a, a condensed form of preservation. I think the mists are directly tied to preservation. I think the mist spirit is the kind of personification of that um which would imply ruin might have a kind of slightly corporeal physical form in some regard as well that we haven't seen yet um if they're if they are in a kind of yin and yang situation <laughs> um but uh yeah that's what i think uh that would be uh, scary to look out for yes very spooky on the other um, hand if uh, if sam's tracking is is more correct and uh they are sort of self opposites is the mist spirit then uh perhaps both if yeah if 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 that if that theory is is true then perhaps um again i i'm not sure if that is the case um and i guess speaking of physical forms now, now that we've I don't know about physical, but we did definitely just see Kelsier, and I did definitely just say, hey, I think Kelsier is Ruin. So maybe that is the the version of the Mist Spirit that corresponds to Ruin. Um, but um, yeah, spooky either way. I'm curious um, what the deal is. Um, I don't think the Mists or Preservation really want to kill anybody, but it's trying to fight Ruin as best it can, and this is really the only way it knows how to do that. Which again goes back to the prologue of Marsh saying, hey, Ruin wants to do something, but currently there's some kind of shield over the entire world and it's really fucking up my plans. Um, so I think, yeah, killing people is either a side effect or a necessary downside of the mists trying to stop Ruin from destroying everything immediately. Okay. Um, uh, I just have written, God, I hope Beldry is turns out to be who I wanted Alrian to be. Because um, I don't <laughs> want... I, I There's a lot of cool stuff happening with Spook. However, he must be punished for his transgressions. Um, I don't want him to get with Beldry officially. But we do have, like, the little hint of, like, who are you? Like, maybe she really is going to think about changing sides. So I want to have happen is... Beldra is like, yeah, of course, of course I'm on your side. And then it turns out that she is lying about that, is going to sell him out. Um, I, 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 there's a good chance that that happens. And then also after the betrayal, Beldra does turn out to be a good person. I, I'm just, I, I don't want, I don't want to be as straightforward as Spook is obsessing over this girl and thinks I can fix her and then succeeds. Um, I want it to be 
better than that. Um, so um, those are my thoughts on Beltry. Um, what's the deal with heme allergy? What, what's, what's going on here? Good question. What's, what's the deal? Huh? Um, what, what's the deal? What, what's going on? Um, there's something about heme allergy that's been bothering me a little bit. And it's that we get Allomancy and its own set of powers. And then we get Farukami and its own set of powers. And then we get heme allergy now. But from what we've seen of that, it's just the other powers but scary because it's an inquisitor doing them. We, we've seen them using allomantic powers and now we've seen them using ferrochemical powers, but it's not anything new from what we've seen aside from the kind of cool steel sight thing that they get so that they can see despite having spikes through their eyes. But even that is basically just like extreme steel. Yes, it seems like that's the case because it specifies that it's a bunch of blue little dots and we know that uh, steel pushing lets you literally see the blue lines. It's not like that's just like a theoretical thing. They can't actually see that. Um, so what's the deal with hemolurgy? My theory is that hemolurgy is essentially, it allows you to steal powers from the other two magical systems. Um, I think different spikes are tied to different allomantic powers. Um, and I think Inquisitors just didn't have many Terrasmen to steal powers from until now. Um, so that's why we're not getting that um, kind of Inquisitor combo until now. Um, and the reason why I think that is that the prologue gives us just enough information that it's unclear, but it does specify Marsh is putting a spike into a Terrasmen, and then beneath the Terrasmen is Inquisitor. So I'm wondering if it's not actually Terrasmen Inquisitors we've been seeing, it's people that have just stolen powers from the Terrasmen because the Terrasmen are getting killed in the process and then the spike goes into the Inquisitor and then the Inquisitor gets to have ferrochemical powers. Um, so I think that might be kind of what's actually happening there. Um, and then a whole bunch of more question marks. Um, <laughs> they have to do... Sorry. It, it, are there thoughts before I move on? I was just going to say, I don't know if we're now getting Terrace Inquisitors or we're now getting Inquisitors who have stolen powers from stabbed Terrace people. I don't know which one of those is worse. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's rough either way. It's not fun. It's a messy process. Um, ironic, I just said that's not fun because the line is it's messy and that's what makes it so fun. But um not fun for me um uh moving on not moving on from hemolurgy but like on another point um it seems it's implied that all chondra have a blessing there's a line that says mist wraiths get given a blessing and that's what allows them to become a mist wraith um and we know there's a blessing of awareness which might be tin I, th that seems like of the of the kind of main powers we're associated with like seems like tin would be the closest to that um we have not directly got confirmation that all the chondra have physical spikes but we've seen that some of them have spikes so i'm wondering if the spikes are where the blessing comes from um i did pick up on orisar the power of potency which i thought was probably pewter uh sam uh picked up on that as well and tensoon has presence which I don't quite know what that would correspond to. Maybe soothing, maybe bronze. I don't quite know exactly what presence would entail. Um, but yeah, what's the deal with that? Do the Chondra also have to 
spike other people to get the powers or since they're special conjure people do they just get the spikes right off the bat and then they get the powers immediately i don't know i don't know i um, i don't i don't know um <laughs> that's most of what i have my last detail is that yeah those terrorist people sure did call Sazed your majesty didn't they that's interesting to me <laughs> leave the voice crack in i'm not doing a retake that's it I'm done. As, as you request. At some point during all of the questioning and the theorizing, Justin and I sent in our spoiler chat. Yes, but not like that. And then at a dif- different point, we said it again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goody. This this <laughs> reminding me of, uh, I believe you had a similar uh, reaction to me saying i think zane and vin will kiss and then they will uh start oh, fighting boy. again <laughs> that was uh fucked up but true <laughs> yeah that was the quote that time that's all i got all right then yeah um this was definitely a plot line that needed to get kicked off and so we did have a lot of of setup with uh with uh, the skulls with uh Kelsier again that's a big thing He's back. He's really back, guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely <laughs> literal, actual Kelsier. Um, but yeah, we uh, we've got some uh, some interesting stuff ahead of us, and I am looking forward to it. Yay. All right. Uh, so, are you ready for another very large chunk of chapters that actually is only slightly bigger word count wise than our, our usual <laughs> one? Because uh, we are going from chapter 21 all the way to chapter 28, or through chapter 28, excuse me, uh, for our next section. Uh, which means we will be getting through part two in, again, three episodes. This will be the, the middle of the three episodes on that. Uh, and we will get to, hopefully, uh, see some answers to at least some of the questions that uh, were were posed in this one. Uh, like I mentioned the very beginning of chapter 21, we are going to be going back to Vin and Ellen and that crew and seeing what happened with the uh, the mists coming upon the soldiers. So we can start there at least. Uh, but before we go off and read, I should uh, let everyone know that uh, our podcast is on alwaysanotherpodcast.com and our email is contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. I checked earlier and I saw that we have some... Uh, some things that we will have to wait on until we get a little further in Hero of Ages, but uh, I appreciate, I, I gave that a good read. Uh, Beth will as well at some point, and uh, we'll bring that up in the, the near future. I assume that means I should not look at the comments for the podcast episodes. Uh, the email is the most... Uh, that was... Yeah, the, that, okay. that is the email in specific, is, is the most ahead of time uh, spoilers. Uh, what are not as spoiler driven are our uh, social media, where you can find us on Twitter at always another pod, uh, as well as on Instagram at always another pod. You can find both of those uh, updating when we have new episodes out and some other thoughts in between. I think that does it. I think uh, those of us who are ill have successfully made it through today's episode. Those of us who are <laughs> not ill have stuck along for the ride. <laughs> And we are uh, ready to, for some of us, to head off to bed because it got quite late here. But for other of us, uh, (laughs) time to start reading more.
Uh, time for me to collapse into bed. Ken, you're one of the healthy ones. <laughs> we uh, we had a lot to talk about here. This will be this will be a good one to to get edited and get out there. Other than that, I think without further ado, we will uh, say our farewells and return for Hero of Ages episode five. In Ham's name, Sakes alive. In Ham's name. I'm Ted.